Tonight, will justice be served in the animal rights extremist robbery case in Alberta? It's November 27th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Well, it is so cold. The, the roads are so bad. There's so many cars and trucks in the ditch. The officer behind me in the high-vis vest is telling everyone that the entire court is canceled today. No judge, no prosecutors, no nothing. The doors will remain locked. They have shoveled the walk, but just too many people couldn't make it in this inclement weather, I should tell you that as I drove down from Calgary this morning, I saw probably half a dozen vehicles in the ditch, including some very large semi-trailers. It was, at some points, visibility was maybe 50 feet. So I'm not surprised that court is canceled. It sounds like everything will be put over till next week. Um, either I'll be here or we'll have another journalist here from the Rebel covering it. I think it's a very important story because it's a story not just of uh, ordinary crime, I mean, there are robberies all the time. That doesn't raise to the level of news that we would normally cover here at The Rebel. But it was a political crime. And uh, I wouldn't quite go so far as to call it terrorism because they were so cowardly. And it's hard to be terrified by an anemic vegetarian. Um, but the Hutterites, who were chosen specifically because they're Christian and, and pacifist, so they would be compliant victims, and of course, the animal rights extremists who are running the show are doing this for political reasons. They want to shut down meat and all farming. Uh, it's an outrageous thing to have a farm invasion of a Christian, basically family commune farm, chosen because they're so pacifist. But far more concerning to me, actually, was the fact that the police let these people go uh, for a month. They, no, worse than that, the police were there as they occupied the turkey farm and didn't kick him out, didn't arrest him. In fact, they negotiated terms with the, the uh, animal rights extremists and the farmers, which included the farmers giving uh, five turkeys to the uh, thieves to go with. I mean, I bet those turkeys, by the way, I bet they probably died. I mean, these people don't know how to handle turkeys. Um, that made me mad. It made me mad when I later discovered that one of the people who, in fact, was supposed to be on trial today, uh, Maxwell Ma is his name, was a global news reporter. And my theory is that this was sort of an inside job, a media job. He was the liaison that tipped off Global. And Global knew about this, obviously, but didn't mention it at all until he was charged. And finally, why did it take a month to charge these people? The police had their names. They were there for hours. They had their photos. They had everything well documented. Why did the police let them go? And why did it take a month for Doug Schweitzer, the left-wing attorney general in Alberta, to put charges? And why the most minor charges possible? You know, he could have charged conspiracy. He could have had a RICO-style criminal organization charge. He could have charged the masterminds behind it. He could have charged them with many more things. They were literally charged with the lowest possible charges that could be made. So I came all the way to Fort McLeod today. I flew in from Toronto and then I drove down in the snow, but I don't mind because this is an important story for the reasons I've outlined. 
I'm making my way back to my car. As you can see, it is so cold here. I was hoping to warm up in the court, but I'm gonna get into the car and uh, take a careful drive back up to Calgary because the roads are horrendous. But this is an important case to us. And uh, I know that um, you'll be able to rely on us to report accurately and in defense of these farmers, their property rights, and against the extremists that are targeting them. By the way, don't think that oil and gas extremists aren't following this case just as closely as we are, because they know that how these animal rights extremists are treated or let go is a prototype for how they will too. All right, I'm gonna turn off the camera phone and get into the car. Well, I'm back in the car. I pulled over. It's so cold outside. I mean, don't I don't want you to think I've gone soft, but it was minus 14 and windy. And I saw a lot of vehicles um, on in the ditch, including semis. So I, I'm not shocked that they canceled court because, frankly, uh, I'd be surprised if anyone got there on time. And, um, you know, the judge didn't come. It's it's a the judge does a circuit. He's not there's not enough legal business in Fort McLeod for the judge to be there every day. So it looks like this will be postponed a week. Um, I came all the way from Toronto to cover the case, and so I'm, I'm heading back now. Um, it's too bad that it was canceled, but I don't regard it as a wasted effort. I think this is an important story. I just feel like these Hutterites were wronged on so many levels, and the response by the government was inappropriate and remains inappropriate. It remains lacking. There were up to 60 farm invasion robbers that day. Why are only four being charged? And three of them look like cannon fodder, young, know-nothing vegans. It's bizarre to me that there's a global news reporter in his 40s or 50s who was charged. I think we need to really learn more about that. But mainly, this is a test case, I think, for how the Alberta government or any other authorities will respond to eco-sabotage. I'm not going to quite call it eco-terrorism, but I'm sure there's a 100% overlap of the people who would do a farm invasion robbery to liberate turkeys and people who would do something like that to block a pipeline. Now, I remain convinced that Justin Trudeau will absolutely not build the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Um, he hasn't lifted a finger. No one has lifted a shovel. It's just not going to happen. The reason he paid $4.5 billion for the existing pipeline is not because he wanted an existing pipeline and not because he wanted to build a new pipeline, but because he thought the $4.5 billion, which was at least $1 billion over market price, would be enough to shut up the proponent who would normally be saying, why can't we build? Why can't we build? You're really not doing this. It was a $4.5 billion shut-up payment, but to Trudeau, what does he care? It's not his money. But uh, listen, it's Alberta's decision what charges are laid against these uh, eco-saboteurs, and so far the decision is an incorrect one. They are grossly undercharged. Anyways, look, I was there to cover the case. There is no case. I was there to try to scrum uh, the defendants. They were not there. I was frankly going to ask the prosecutor some questions, um, and the prosecutor was not there. So I'm headed back to Toronto, and I'll do a full show from the studio tomorrow, unless the plane is grounded. But I want to show you some highlights from other video clips we've done on this subject. I spoke to Sheila Gunn-Reed about it. She went down there. 
Um, we did some work on this, and I know you're probably thinking, Ezra, what do you care? It's just some turkeys. It's five turkeys. It's a f farm in an obscure, faraway place. Well, it, none of that's relevant. It's the it's the underlying principle of it all, and it's the fact that this is a prototype. This is a template. How we, and by we I mean society, the government, Premier Jason Kenney, his left-wing Attorney General Doug Schweitzer, the police, how they respond to these eco-saboteurs, I think is the model for how we'll go forward. So it's important to get this right. All right, I'm going to uh, get off the phone now and head continue heading back north on this blizzardy highway. But let me leave you with some clips from our coverage of this in the past months. Yeah, I did a little research on Jumbo Valley because I am the local Anabaptist defile. I'm a, I'm a big Hutterite fan. Um, Jumbo Valley is a, is a daughter colony of another colony. So the other colony got big. And so they split. They bought some land and split. So Jumbo Valley runs free range turkeys. This is the most ethical if there's such a thing of all farming. I mean, I think all farmers are pretty ethical, but these turkeys are living a good life as far as meat turkeys go. Dumbo Valley started in 2016. So these are state-of-the-art, brand-new barns that these turkeys are in, and they're using state-of-the-art farming methods to run free-range turkeys. And yet, still, that's not enough for these activists to come along and accuse them of being mean or oppressive to their turkeys. I got to tell you, too, I think you're right that there's some other uh, sinister sort of organization behind these people, because in my contact with the people who were actually there, and I did have a little bit of contact with the activists who were actually there, they're dumb as a pile of hammers. These people have me, of all people, uh, on their media release list. So they sent me their <laughs> pictures from inside the barn. That shows you just how dumb they are. I mean, uh, the last person I am is an animal rights activist. I, I mean, I suppose I, I could be in that I like to eat well-loved animals because I think they taste delicious and I insist on eating animals that I knew personally just so I know where my food comes from. But uh, they sent me their... Uh, pictures posing with the turkeys, looking longingly into these turkeys' eyes, thinking that I would somehow be sympathetic to their story and run with it. Huh. That just tells you how dumb they are. When I saw the names of the three uh, adults who were charged, obviously I hopped on Google to see what uh, their social media profile was. And uh, Claire Buchanan and Kennedy Ray Herbert are, they're not super young, but they're women in their 20s and they look like vegan, animal rights mm -hmm. people. I mean, uh, Claire Buchanan thinks she's a bit of a Instagram model or something. It's actually pretty <laughs> funny, but you can see she's always hugging animals, wearing vegetarian shirts. She's absolutely playing the part of the 20-something single vegetarian activist girl. I mean, that's no big surprise that she's cannon fodder for this action and same with Kennedy Herbert and obviously a 16 year old girl too. I'm not gonna call them victims, although maybe the teenager is, mm -hmm. but the other two, they look the part. And you've got all these 20 something and teenage girls and then you've got a 46 year old man just happens to be in the mix. I don't believe it. Was he an organizer? Was he paid? Did he pay them for the scoop? I just don't believe 
that a 46-year-old global news journalist from Edmonton just happened to fall in with 20-something girls from Calgary and Pincher Creek in a Fort McLeod uh, home invasion-style robbery. I don't believe it was just coincidence, and I don't believe he's a peer of theirs. I believe he was some sort of a fixer or a boss or something more senior. Yeah, I, I think it all goes back to the fact that, you know, the coverage came from Global News Calgary about this event, and the Hutterite farm chosen, uh, they say completely at random, I think chosen because they're Hutterites and they're pacifists and they won't fight back. So if you're using young girls and malnourished women as cannon fodder, the Hutterite farm is a safe place to break the law. Um, it's It's all very strange how a news crew from two hours away was able to be there right as the story happened. You know, um, I've just looked up uh, while we're chatting here on, on my laptop, uh, the Edmonton Journal coverage has post media, CTV coverage. Yeah. They all mention Maxwell Ming Ma's name. None of them mention that he's with Global. Now, maybe that's just lazy and they didn't type his name into Google, but why would this to me? is a scandal of the highest order in, from a journalistic point of view. Yes, it's a crime. Yes, it's eco-activism um, that has to be nipped in the bud. If you th this is, I tell you, a lot of anti-oil sands extremists are watching how this is being treated. Mm -hmm. And so far, the RCMP and Doug Schweitzer have failed. But this is a journalistic crisis. It's fake news, and it's a, a news organization hiding its role in manufacturing the news and i think that we need to do some digging here sheila because obviously canada's so-called media critics won't um the the company itself using the present tense maxwell mingwa is an employee at global edmonton obviously they're just tickety-boo with this they were fine with it the day before it was released in public in fact they were colluding to keep it a secret this is a deep, deep rot. Four people were charged yesterday in the nearly two-month-old invasion of a Hutterite colony free-range turkey farm in southern Alberta. The September 2nd farm invasion started in the early hours of the morning when dozens of animal rights activists took a school bus to the Jumbo Valley Hutterite colony farm near Pincher Creek and staged a sit-in occupying one of the turkey barns and thus jeopardizing the biosecurity of the entire flock. Now, before the protesters eventually left, and despite the fact that local RCMP had been on the scene and collecting names and information for the duration of the onslaught, the protesters wanted their demands met, and the local RCMP helped them to negotiate with the farmers. The activists wanted to rescue, translation, burgle, five turkeys, and they wanted a news crew to be allowed to tour the turkey barns. And Global News was on the scene, maybe a little too conveniently, and they were happy to oblige the terroristic demands of the protesters. Just watch. In the end, the farm owners agreed to a deal with the protesters who demanded and were given five turkeys to take to a rescue sanctuary. The group says they wanted media to have full access to the turkey barns, which we were allowed. The owner says he has nothing to hide. Finally, yesterday, Maxwell Ming Ma, Claire Buchanan, Kennedy Ray Herbert, and a 16-year-old girl whose name cannot be revealed were charged with one count each of break and enter and enter to commit mischief.
and later on yesterday afternoon because of course they did several activists chained themselves to the Edmonton legislature building to protest the arrests police doing something I absolutely wouldn't do unchained these people now if you got all your news from the mainstream media like the Edmonton Journal, CTV News, Okotoks Online, Lethbridge Now, the Calgary Sun, or for that matter, the insufferable CBC, you wouldn't know that one of those four protesters arrested was a Global News employee. Maxwell Ming Ma is an employee at Global Edmonton, and we find that out in the third to last sentence in the Global News story on the arrest. I suppose they had to divulge that information before somebody else found out, but it is absolutely not being reported in any of the other mainstream media coverage. You know, I always thought it was a slight bit sketchy how Global News ended up being part of these terroristic extortion demands done by these farm invading protesters to our peaceful Hutterite friends. Of all the news agencies, it sure was curious why Global News was chosen when the protesters demanded that a news crew be allowed to wander the farm and, like I explained earlier, put the animals at biohazard risk. Well, now we know. Global had a man on the inside, or rather the protesters had a man on the inside of Global. And yet, in any story that Global News did about the protest prior to now, they never acknowledged that one of their employees was part of the crime, when that was likely how Global News was tipped off about the whole mess in the first place. At the very least, Global News withheld information about a story that directly involved them from the public. And at worst, Global News was a willing participant in meeting these extortion demands on peaceful Alberta farmers. To start a four-year job, maybe an eight-year job at age 79 may not be the smartest thing to do. Um, but I think if I thought I could win, I would have. Uh, I just couldn't see a path where I could get the nomination and to spend the next year and a half, two years of my life campaigning. No matter how much I love campaigning, I had three campaigns, won them all. New York City is anything but an easy place to do business and politics. It's every problem in the world is here and you've got to address everything. Uh, but it's just not going to happen on a national level for somebody like me starting where I am unless I was willing to change all my views and go on what CNN called an apology tour. Well, that man is Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City and the man after whom the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg News was named. A Bloomberg Terminal was a prototype uh, fast information computer that every stock trader on Wall Street and around the world used, and Bloomberg News came out of that, a multi-billionaire, a lefty who copied Rudy Giuliani's tough-on-crime policies and managed to win New York, spending hundreds of millions of dollars of his own money to do it, but that's nothing for him. He has surveyed the Democratic presidential candidates and found them lacking. And he has decided that he is the answer. Interestingly, he has announced that he will ban any Bloomberg reporter from criticizing him or doing any opposition research into him. The Battle of the Billionaires, joining us now, I refer to Bloomberg and Trump, 
Um, I suppose Mark, uh, Tom Steyer, another Democrat, could call himself a billionaire. Joining us now via Skype from the Los Angeles headquarters of Breitbart.com is our friend Joel Pollack. Joel, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm fine. You know, um, I like a guy with chutzpah. Uh, Donald Trump has taught me not to underestimate a billionaire with ambition. Uh, but Trump had a lot of things going for him that Bloomberg doesn't. Let's give Bloomberg uh, the advantage in terms of raw cash. Uh, Bloomberg uh, has, has much more money than, than Trump, but Trump had a lot of other things going for him. He had a name, a brand, uh, an audacity. What do you make of this? Well, I think Bloomberg may simply be making a poor decision. I think it's as simple as that. I think he sees that Joe Biden is weak and there isn't a really strong alternative to Biden. The only other quote unquote moderate, and it really is a stretch to call him a moderate, the only other moderate doing well right now is Pete Buttigieg, who is all of 37 years old and has never run anything larger than a small town in Indiana and hasn't really even run that terribly well. So I think there's a sense of panic in the donor class. Bloomberg was content to let Biden run with this, and Biden is still the front runner, but he's looking very weak. There's not a lot of confidence in his chances. There's not a lot of confidence in his competence, mentally and otherwise. So I think Bloomberg has decided, in a sense, to make a statement, but I don't think he has a real chance at winning. And I think this may have just been a poor decision, almost an emotional one. There's no way he can win. He's going to be isolated in the first four primary contests. So for the first month of elections and voting, we're not going to hear about Michael Bloomberg at all. He's not going to be on the ballot in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina. He's jumping in on Super Tuesday in Alabama, hmm. in Arkansas. These are not states that are terribly hospitable to liberal nanny state bureaucrats from New York City. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is a losing strategy. I cannot see him picking up enough support. He hasn't been on the debate stage at all. The other candidates immediately pounced on him. They are dismissing him as a billionaire who thinks he can buy the election. There already are some billionaires who are trying to buy the election. Tom Steyer is one of them, and he at least made the debate stage by spending strategically and boosting his poll numbers in one of the key primary states. I think it was Nevada. But the Democrats are moving away from the billionaires, and I don't think there's much room for Bloomberg to grow among the Democratic primary electorate. So it, in a sense, it's a vanity project and probably a very poor decision. Yeah, you could be right. I mean, he's a smart man, but he's smart about certain things. A smart man is not necessarily smart about all things. Um, he's 77, which means that uh, should he win on um, his inauguration day, I think he would be 78, turning 79 a few weeks later. Am I right about that? I think that's the math. I think so. He's the second oldest person in the race. Bernie Sanders is the oldest, and Bloomberg is now second oldest. He's younger than Bernie, but older than Biden. I think Bloomberg is mentally very, still quite sharp. Um, yeah. If he is in four years or eight years, it's a different story. Trump is in his 70s. Uh, I think he's actually older than Hillary, if my memory serves, but he feels young. He's got very high energy. Let's say that Bloomberg has high energy. Let's say he's 100% there mentally. The charge against him is that he wants to buy the race. Um, well, let's take that at, at, uh, at face value. I don't know his estimated wealth, but theoretically, I mean, if he's 77, 
this is his last big move in his life, I'm guessing. So maybe he could, theoretically, spend a shocking and unprecedented amount of money. I'm going to pick the number $5 billion. I just made that up. I mean, it, it would be unprecedented, unthinkable. I mean, Hillary Clinton and all her super PACs, I don't even think reached $2 billion in the entire general election. But theoretically, if a guy spent $5 billion, if he had his own media network, could it win, Joel? Well, I don't think the media network is going to help much because they aren't really going to be able to help him directly. They might lay off investigating other candidates. In fact, they might be forced to do so because they've already stated publicly that they're going to avoid investigating other candidates, I think, except for Donald Trump himself, who's the president, and so they're allowing themselves to do that. So they'll investigate Trump, but they won't investigate Bloomberg. They, they never do. And they are not going to investigate the other Democrats. So he's not going to be able to use his network, really, to swing the primary election, at least. Maybe in the general it comes into play. But, you know, I, I don't see this really as a huge advantage. Remember, Donald Trump has outspent something like five to one by Hillary Clinton and the Democratic donors in 2016, and he still came away with the win there. So it's not just spending, you've got to have a message. And it's not clear that Bloomberg really offers an alternative. I mean, he would basically say, well, I ran New York City very well. Well, Trump can say, I'm running the whole country pretty well. Look at the economy. Look mm -hmm. at the fact that we're at peace everywhere. Yeah. We destroyed ISIS. We're in talks with North Korea. We're having a trade war with China, but we're also in, in trade talks with China. We have a new agreement to replace NAFTA once the Democrats stop trying to impeach me. They'll just past that, the USMCA agreement. So Trump has a better record in government than Bloomberg. And Bloomberg, by the way, nearly got tossed out when he ran for a third term. The New York mayors were not allowed to run for third terms. Then Bloomberg changed the rules to allow himself to run for a third term. He nearly lost to his Democrat challenger. So I don't know that Bloomberg's record is going to be very convincing to most people. And it, again, it looks like a vanity project, a very expensive one. I don't know if it's going to help the Democratic cause or not. There's some rumors that maybe he's just trying to see if there's room for another candidate after him, someone who's more effective, younger perhaps, more experienced. I don't know who that would be. I think the field is essentially set. The front runners are the front runners. There aren't going to be too many more surprises. Time is running out. The Iowa caucuses are on February 3rd, Monday, February 3rd, and there are four or five front runners in the field. It's very difficult for me to see anybody getting the infrastructure up in time to challenge their dominance. And Again, Trump entered the race late, but not that late. Trump entered in June, which was, you know, three or four months in. But he didn't wait until November. And by November of 2015, if you think back, he had already been on top of the polls for four months. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's going to be difficult for Bloomberg to make up the kind of ground he needs to, to make it to the front of the pack, never mind to win. Yeah, I remember vividly Trump's uh, uh, primary campaign. He was so completely different from all the others. And he was more and more shocking every time as people got used to that Trump style, that it was Trump and the rest, Trump and the rest. I don't think this will be Bloomberg and the rest. There's, there's a yep. lot of um, mid-level people, each one trying to find their niche, but no one has that uh, charisma and personality like Trump. So I, I think in this crowded field, adding a guy who's pretty bland, I saw his speech um, when he announced it was very low energy, low charisma. He's got a bit of a whine. Um, he doesn't, like, people don't say him and say, whoa, stop, I want to listen to this guy. At least that's not the feeling I get. 
so, so Trump, the fact that there was a ton of competitors was perfect because it was like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Here you got right. a bunch of middle-sized guys, and, and if you look at the polls, everyone's you know, in the high single digits or low double digits. It's a mess. Yeah, I think the two candidates to watch right now, I, I think Bloomberg's a sideshow, the two candidates to watch are Buttigieg and Kamala Harris. Pete Buttigieg is very talented. He's a better orator than most of the other candidates. He says a lot of nothing. It doesn't really make much sense when you actually look at what he said, but it sounds very good. And he's a good campaigner. He's got a huge infrastructure in Iowa and New Hampshire. He's got a lot of money. The one thing he doesn't have is support from black voters. It's not clear he's going to get it, but he has a chance to at least break through into the number one, number two spot. In fact, there's a new Konikbiak poll, which says he is number two for the first time. So he's actually come from the back of the pack and is surging to the fore on the strength of his money, his infrastructure, and his debate performances, which haven't been spectacular, but have been solid, more solid than some of the others. But Kamala Harris is still lurking in the background, and she's running a terrible campaign, absolutely just one of the worst campaigns strategically. But she remains, I think, a default plan B for a lot of people. And so if the other candidates start to falter, she could pick up some delegates, maybe in the South, maybe in California on Super Tuesday, if she doesn't do well on Super Tuesday, that's March 3rd, a month after the Iowa caucuses, four weeks and a day. If she doesn't do well on March 3rd, then she's done. But she could make a move. I would watch those two. Bernie, Warren, Biden, they're the three front runners and have been for several weeks. They're going to split a lot of the vote. If Buttigieg and Harris can break through, who knows what's going to happen. And we could go into the Democratic National Convention next summer without a clear winner, in which case all kinds of other things are going to come into play. Yeah. They've reformed the system of superdelegates so that the party elite doesn't get to select the candidate on the first ballot. Mm -hmm. But after the first ballot, the superdelegates come back in. And then you have the party power brokers able to essentially choose who they want. And that's going to be interesting to see if they pick Joe Biden over somebody else. Yeah. Well, I remember probably not quite six months ago, but I remember you and I were just spitballing who we thought was a contender. And you and I, I think, both agreed Kamala Harris, and I thought, okay, she's youngish, uh, she's visible minority, which counts for something. She's a woman, which counts for something. She's from California. She's a lawyer, so she's got a certain, you know, she, she, she was a, a prosecutor. Like, she's got some achievements under her belt. And, um, you know, she's, she doesn't have a, I don't find her a winning personality. I think she's a little bit Clintonian in her fakeness. But she, but if I look at her, I feel like the air's gone out of that balloon. Um, you think that people are thinking, well, may, maybe she's sort of our, our default second choice. Is that what you're thinking? I think so. I think so. She checks every box, and there's not one constituency in the party that's particularly offended by her. Yeah. Whereas you can look at any of the other candidates. There are moderates and people on Wall Street who will not support Warren or Sanders. Right. There are radicals who will not support Joe Biden. The black community may not support Pete Buttigieg. He does have a very difficult relationship with that community right now, rightly or wrongly. Mm -hmm. Who are you left with? Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you one more question. I find Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii just interesting from a, several points of view. She's a, a veteran. Um, She's young. She posts videos of herself working out, which I don't know, maybe that's just an attempt to use her physical attractiveness to get votes. Or, but it shows a vigor, I think, compared to 
Sanders, Bloomberg, Biden. Um, she's Trumpy in her dislike for foreign entanglements. Um, I, I see in the new, uh, new Hampshire poll, it might be Quinnipiac, that she's up, I think, six points or something. She's almost in that, not quite the first tier, but uh, that could just be a rogue poll with a high margin of error. Does Tulsi Gabbard have any chance at all, or is she just a quirky, interesting also run? She is the latter. I think she has a chance at cabinet position, perhaps. But she right now is, in a sense, a, a protest vote against the rest of the field, particularly among the anti-war constituency, which is the group she's appealing to most. The anti-war movement dominated the Democratic Party when Obama won. But now, since Obama turned out not to be a very great anti-war president, they've receded somewhat. She's the only outspoken anti-war candidate. So that's enough to keep her in the race for a while. But I don't know that the rest of the party will come around to her, especially because there's a lot of resentment against her. She attacks other Democrats on the debate stage mm -hmm. very effectively. Mm -hmm. And Kamala Harris said, essentially, you're not a Democrat anymore. She said that, basically, on the, on the debate stage. And that's how a lot of Democrats feel. They feel that she is uh, the kind of person who is bringing down the other candidates. And so I, I, I doubt she can unify the party behind her. That's the problem she has now. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Well, I find this very interesting to talk about. And, uh, of course, we're up here in Canada, and we just had our elections. So uh, we're, we're locked into a few more years of bad news up here. So at least <laughs> let us enjoy the spectator sport of American presidential politics. Joe, I really appreciate you being our guide through all these things. Yeah, take care. All right, thanks. There you have it, Joel Pollock, Senior Editor-at-Large at Breitbart.com. Stay with us. Well, that's our show for today. I'm sorry uh, that my very long journey to Fort McLeod to cover the court case was rather aborted. Um, but I got to tell you, I normally am used to much crazier flights uh, seven hours to London each way to cover the story of Tommy Robinson. So, frankly, a four-hour flight each way to cover a Hutterite uh, home uh, farm invasion robbery, it doesn't even feel uh, that bad considering what I'm used to. All right, uh, thanks for tuning in today, and we will cover this story and many more. Uh, Kian Bexty is now back from Hong Kong. Sheila Gunn-Reed is away on a secret mission. And I'm not even kidding about that. We will only reveal it once she's back and safe and sound. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us, wherever we are, the rebels around the world, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.